It's Thursday, October 8th, 2015. You're listening to a Stem Seeds podcast, which was actually a recording of a presentation yesterday on Wednesday. No, on Tuesday. No, it was Wednesday, October the 7th, uh, 2015, at the OTA Encyclopedia Conference in downtown Oklahoma City. This is a presentation called Engaging STEM Ideas, and it was co-presented by Amy Leffelholtz of Yukon Public Schools, Michelle Freeland of Cassidy School, and yours truly, Wes Fryer of Cassidy School. Um, I knew this was going to be a lot of fun because I had heard a little bit from Michelle this summer about some of the things she had learned and done building her own 3D printer from a manufacturer here in Oklahoma City with her husband Jason and then using it in a STEM camp and hands-on kind of DIY maker ed camp that she led in our library this summer. And it is always so inspiring to hear what Amy has been doing with her students and the lessons, and it was just great. So this presentation runs about 45 minutes. I would direct you to the podcast show notes where I have included not only a link to the Google presentation that we collaboratively put together uh, that has a lot of links to the reference lessons and ideas that we talked about, but I've also pulled those links out and put those into the show notes as well. So remember, you are hopefully accessing this from our main STEM Seeds website, which is stemseeds.org. You can follow STEM Seeds on Twitter by following STEM Seeds, and also want to definitely give a shout out to the upcoming Playdate, which is a free professional development event that will be taking place on Saturday, the 7th of November, 2015, and we'll be having that at the Crabtree Library at Cassidy School in downtown Oklahoma City. This is open for any educator, uh, regardless of wherever you happen to teach, or if you're a homeschooler, even if you're a parent, um, I'm a parent, and uh, interested in 3D printing. Um, we're going to have uh, several different kinds of 3D printers there, as well as design software. You're welcome to bring a laptop, bring an iPad. We will have iPads available for folks to, you know, check out and use, and this is going to give us a chance to actually play with the 3D design software options that we have for 3D printers and kind of talk about 3D printing. It does take a long time to actually, you know, print things on the 3D printer, so I'm sure we'll be running the 3D printers. Not everybody you know, is going to have time during the, the morning session. It'll be 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. to actually, you know, print something. Um, but we'll be, you know, learning lots, and uh, Jason and, and Michelle are going to be uh, two of our facilitators, and uh, we just welcome you to, to come and learn. So without further ado, it is back to Wednesday, October 7th, 2015, at OTA Encyclopedia with Michelle Freeland, Amy Luffelholtz, and Wes Fry. Well, good morning, everyone. I think we'll go ahead and get started. I'm so excited to be here because I know I'm going to learn new stuff. And as someone who loves STEM and I'm continuing with a STEM club, at least, to teach STEM, I'm always on a quest for new ideas for engaging STEM projects for students. So uh, my name is Wes Fryer, and I'm joined by... Amy Leffelholtz. 
and we're joined by we'll talk a little bit more about kind of where we are and what we're doing but this entire presentation is available as a Google presentation which means when you link to it you can click on the link so you shouldn't have to um, hunt around a lot hopefully to be able to find what we are what we're talking about um, I will put this up at the end again, but we passed out about 50 stickers that had a bit.ly link. It's bit.ly slash STEM ideas, and that will take you to this presentation. We also have a link to our presentation last year because Amy and I shared some different projects, catapults and other things we won't talk about today, but you can go back to that. The audio from last year is available. And I'm recording the audio again. So if you ha know somebody who can't be here, um, please share this with them. And we'll, um, I'll put the link to the audio in here as well. Uh, oftentimes I find there are more teachers that, you know, kind of see it later after the presentation than even, you know, uh, during the time. But just to give us an idea of who's here, how many of you are elementary people? Okay. How many are middle school folks? How many are high school people? And do we have any librarian, media Okay, awesome. And any administrators here? All right, great. Any other other category? Okay, a few others. Great, we're glad you're here too. <laughs> so um, first thing I want to tell you, so excited, Michelle, right here on the front row, is a guru of 3D printing because she has been building her own. She did a STEM camp at our school, Cassidy, this summer. She's going to show you and talk about some cool things that kids like invented and made. We're going to have a free play date on Saturday, November 7th um, at her library, at Crabtree Library, from 9 a.m. until 1 p.m. And we just put the registration up for Eventbrite. If you heard Joy Hoffmeister talk about ed camps, ed camps are happening now. The, the Oklahoma City one will actually be in March this year, the first Saturday of March. But play dates are a little different. Rather than having different sessions and everybody just kind of decides on what to go, uh, we've had themes. So in April, we were at John Rex Elementary downtown. We did Minecraft and coding, and we had about 20 uh, adults and kids, which was fun. And this time, it's just going to be 3D printing and 3D design. So Michelle's going to talk more about that. I have never designed anything on a 3D printer. Amy just bought two 3D printers with her $6,000 Cox grant. And anyway, I know this is stuff we need to be doing as, as STEM teachers and just as like people alive today because 3D printing, micro manufacturing, it's cool. So um, let's talk a little bit about kind of who we are and what we're doing and what our situation is. Um, I'll turn it over to Amy first. And you, if you want to use the mic, you can, but you don't have to. Perfect. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. Teacher voice. I'm Amy Leffelholtz, and I teach at Lakeview Elementary in Yukon, and I teach fourth and fifth grade STEM. I'm on the specials rotation along with music, PE, and art. And so I see all, it used to be 620, we're down a little bit this year. So all 600 kids at our school, including the severe and profound special ed kids come to STEM, as well as the gifted kids. So I see the range and they're all in class together. And so a lot of the things that we do look more like a regular classroom, than maybe PE would. But still, I'm on the specials rotation. I see my kids um, every other day for a nine weeks, and then I switch and see the other half of the school. And so Art and I are on a rotation where we're opposite each other. You either have STEM or you have Art, and then we each see the kids for half of the year. So that way we can get our projects managed and not have to manage projects for 24 classes at one time. We only have to manage projects for 12 classes at one time, which has been revolutionary. As of the first two years, I taught it the other way and it was crazy. And so um, 
I have been doing it for four years. This is my fifth year teaching STEM like this. Um, I can't imagine doing another job. I, I love it so much. It's been such a great opportunity for me. And when we started the programs four years ago, we were the only ones doing what we're doing. And so um, I'm one of the original creators of the program at our school and in our district. And so um, that's an honor I don't take lightly. But it also still in the you know in there doing new lessons all the time and trying out new things. So. Awesome. So for the last four years, I've had a chance to work in Yukon schools. Um, I was an instructional coach for a year and a half on a grant. And then at Encyclopedia three years ago, I saw Amy in line and she said, you know, Chris hasn't been able to come back and we need a STEM teacher. And so I went back in the classroom and the last two years uh, was at Independence Elementary. This summer, I switched and became the director of technology for Cassidy School, which I'm very excited about. And I am continuing to do STEM through our STEM club. And in fact, I left early yesterday. I'll show you a picture of our second, third, and fourth graders doing their first Minecraft EDU yesterday afternoon in our new computer lab that we set up this summer. And it worked great. Um, so we have some STEM happening at our high school level as a club. And I'm uh, working with Art Lopez, our fourth grade science teacher, um, to have a STEM club after school on Tuesdays. Um, you can find out what we're doing. I, I didn't post the, the uh, a post yesterday yet, but on stem.cassidy.org, which is just a blogger site that we set up. And we have a Twitter account, um, Cassidy STEM, uh, where we're uh, sharing some things there. So, Michelle, tell us about you and your uh, scope and then kind of how STEM has fit into what you're doing. I am Michelle Freeland, and for seven years at Cassidy School, I was the middle school computer teacher, and uh, that was started back in 2000 when we were just getting real technology in the classroom. So I set up the curriculum, which has grown since then, thank goodness. And um, then I moved over to the library, and have been a librarian for eight years now. And um, we have branched our library from just being a book resource to being a digital media resource, uh, purchasing iPads for our teachers. We are not a one-to-one -one school um, for choice reasons. And so we purchase iPads for teachers to use in the classroom as they want to check them out. We've uh, recently bought some 3D printers to use. and I worked with children over the summer on those and actually our 3D printers I got them a little bit were a kit so that was, that was a learning experience into itself um, but so that, that's kind of my experience with technology and then I'm married to Mr. Technology so I just I like breathe technology at home creates my life. <laughs> so, and, and Jason is going to come uh, on November 7th, you know, right. to share and talk. And, and so uh, some of the stuff that they did this summer with, you know, cardboard and kids sort of, if you've seen Kane's Arcade, that video, you know, kids inventing games and, um, you know, just doing a lot of hands-on things. The It's great to see the library is that kind of a place for kids to build and make and create and then be able to share. So here's what we're going to try to talk about in the next um, 35 minutes or so. Uh, basically six different project ideas, and we've got a couple videos and some links for you to, to be able to get to these. Um, but first, and this is the same slide we used last year, 
Amy, what are the essentials of STEM? We were talking about this yesterday at lunch. Sometimes people think, oh, good, you're teaching STEM. Well, you can remediate math. Or, oh, good, well, you can do the you know, science standards here. Um, what, what do you think are sort of fundamentals of STEM as a STEM class? And then what, do you, what would you share with classroom teachers who are thinking about integrating STEM? Like, what is it? What does it mean? I think the first one, obviously, collaboration. There is very few if like maybe two to three days the whole year that we do something either by ourselves or we do it just with partners. The rest of the time, the kids are in groups of three or four. And so part of the growing pains that happen with that, especially with fourth and fifth graders that do not like to have their opinions shot down, we have tears. We have um, a couple of years ago, I actually had a student punch another student. That doesn't happen very often. But... <laughs> Collaboration is definitely something that's essential. But as you know, the workforce that we're trying to send people into now, they don't want you to work on an island. They want you to be able to collaborate and be a team player. So this is huge that we're starting to teach the kids how to do that in fourth and fifth grade. Engineering design is great because the fact that you have the problem and then you actually have to try to solve it and then you go back and you retry again until it actually works. Um, measurement. I spend a lot of time doing measurement stuff, not in isolation, but in almost every project we do, there's a measurement element. Because in the classroom, when I was a regular classroom teacher, we didn't have time to get to hands-on measurement. We don't have time to pull those tools out and show them how to use it and actually use that to get real data, to find real measurements. So we do that in STEM. Um, of course, making, where they you let them create. Give them some basic materials and let them create. We're working towards that for the spring especially. We're gonna have a maker's lab. And then learning through failure is the hardest part of what we teach because failure is not a bad thing. It just means that I have kids say, am I gonna fail STEM? Did you try? Did you do the process? Because the outcome I'm much less worried about than the actual process of working with your group, trying out different ideas, doing it again. So your mint race car only went to the edge of the ramp. I don't care. Did you learn something from it? Did you figure out what was wrong? And so that failure is very uneasy. And it's uneasy as a teacher to let them fail because you want them to be successful. And we know everybody gets a trophy. But this is really the most important part, I think, of what we teach is that letting them fail is okay. And they get sad and they cry and then we learn and we try to build up and do it again. But that's really something I think that is essential to the STEM process. So here's the failure bow. Do you know this? I learned this in 2005 when I went to the Apple Distinguished Educator Institute and uh, a woman who works with Pixar and does improv with them taught, taught them this. So what typically happens when a child fails publicly in front of cl the class? What animal do they seem to take on the behavior of? The turtle, you know, go into their shell, ostrich, put their head down in the sand, you know, try to hide. So this is the failure bow, okay? I want you to put your hands up like this. Say, woohoo! That's it. Now, it's not that I want to fail again, but it's that number one, I'm not going to be defined by failure. And number two, I'm going to learn from what I did and try something different. Okay, so it seems like a simple thing, but when you teach that to kids, they'll come around and sometimes, woohoo, they'll do that. And it's really important to help them see that, yes, everyone fails. Everyone try, you know, won't, nobody really gets it the first time. It takes hard work to be able to make something new, to come up with a new idea. So those are, those are a few of the essentials. So I'm gonna talk a little bit first about engineering design challenges. Um, this has become one of my favorite things to do. This is the kind of lesson that you could just do tomorrow in 45 minutes 
minutes with a minimum of materials. Um, on the STEM website that I used the last two years, which is stem.westfriar.com, on the sidebar there are links to the different units that we did. And so this one has four different parts. Um, paper table, this one came from... Uh, Geek Squad, I think. It was, it's a PBS, um, site that has a lot of ideas. What do you need? Newspaper, masking tape, and cardboard. And then some kind of a heavy book. We used our green dictionaries. That's pretty much the main way we used our dictionaries in STEM class. Actually. Um, but you don't show the kids that picture first. Okay? This is a constructivist challenge. Like if you show kids at the beginning, here's what I want you to do, guess what? Probably most of them are going to make it look just like that. So you give them the challenge without the picture, and then you let them figure out, huh, how am I going to do this? And we had some kids come up, even with a one-legged table, a really wide one, you know, and some three-legged tables. And so we talk about stability and, and uh, typically have about 20 minutes to do this. Here's a straw structure challenge. Um, we, uh, Amy and I will talk about stem seeds. Started a website a year or two ago uh, where we do Google Hangouts every once in a while. We don't commit to like once a month, but I think we've done about 10. And um, Bethany Lagon was a middle school teacher in Arizona, and I learned about her. And she shared a bunch of these kinds of projects. So 25 straws, three feet of masking tape, one tennis ball, and a ruler. That's what each team gets. What's your goal? In 20 minutes, build a straw structure that can support the tennis ball for 15 seconds or more above the table. And I did let my kids tape it to the table. They asked that. And then measure the height. And so with a lot of these things, too, you can you know integrate measurement. We used our iPads on some of these to submit results. And then we could calculate averages and you know work with some of those numbers. Number three is a pipe cleaner challenge. This one, um, actually, I think is the hardest one. So every group gets 10 pipe cleaners, a small plastic cup, 50 pennies, and then a ruler. So I, you know, enlisted the help of our cafeteria workers and all kinds of folks who had pennies. Um, they could provide them. But this is pretty challenging with just 10 pipe cleaners. And I would do this one later. I wouldn't do that one first. And uh, again, it's just great to see what the kids can come up with, with their strategies. Um, and then what they learn about reinforcing and, and triangles and shapes. And there's a lot of good things to bring in about building design and, and what, why are the pyramids, why do they have triangles and, and squares? Like why geometric shapes? Well, why do we see those in buildings? Because well, it, it gives strength. And so even though it's simple, there's really good design things. And then the fourth one on that page is called a, a tennis ball Lego tower. So um, I got a bunch of donated Legos put in, put in tubs, actually from my wife, who has got a, a bunch of, of donated things. And so each group just got a random assortment. It's amazing how kids can really elevate, you know, what they can do and, and how excited they can get. This particular picture was with a group who previously had had so many arguments. We didn't have punches, but we were, you know, any, but, but we almost came to blows. I mean, it was really a negative. They had not succeeded. You know, and so the kids just got so excited because they, you know, they were successful. But it took iteration, not only in that challenge, but working together, you know, and learning how to take other people's ideas and collaborate. So just Lego bricks, a tennis ball, and a ruler. And, you know, it doesn't have to be any fancy set. In fact, I think it's kind of good for them not to be a fancy set. It's just um, Legos. Sometimes if you throw Legos in, it gets them more excited about it because if they're getting to play with Legos, it's Oh, good. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. everybody loves to play with Legos. Uh, and this is fun. I've, we've done this for professional development with teachers as well, and that it's a great icebreaker. And, and so, any of these, you could. I've done these, you know, with with uh, with teachers several times. Um, last one here is the 
uh, cantilever span project. Brian Crosby, his, if, if you want to shout out on Twitter to him, he's B Crosby, a STEM teacher in Nevada, um, and he just a wealth of ideas. And he shared this, and I, I don't know how many times we've done it. I went to Lowe's and learned they'll kind of donate like up to seventy dollars worth of stuff. So I went in one day with my teacher badge on and said, "Hey, when did you get this?" And they gave me half inch washers and five hundred paint sticks. Okay, and so the kids have a certain number of metal washers, they have paint sticks, and then they have a ruler. Their goal is to build the longest span out from the edge of the table that they can and measure it. And then in some cases, like I said, would submit those electronically. Very fun, of course, lots of crashing down. This makes a great family STEM night. So if you're going to do like an open house or something and you do something in your room, great project to do. Kids of all ages, adults can be involved. Uh, has a measurement component, really fun. And again, it's amazing. Like I had kids get over 80 centimeters. That's a pretty, that's a pretty long cantilever span. So it is now time for Mint Mobiles. Tell us about that, Amy. So Mint Mobiles, um, low bar, high ceiling. I literally start them out and it says it starts with the build kit and basic instructions, build a car that will roll down a ramp and travel past the end. So I give each one of my groups this kit. It has four peppermints, four popsicle sticks, two straws, and two index cards. And they have to build a car out of that, and they have a limited amount of masking tape, which is sometimes my downfall because there's masking tape everywhere. But um, they will use this, and then they actually are building cars that then roll down this super trendy cardboard ramp that I made. And so... Uh, they roll down, and what we do then is measure how far in inches past the end of the ramp it goes. So they have to do their engineering design process and work through how to actually make that car. Then you'll notice they have their notebooks out because I still do a lot of paper pencil because I'm, that's who I am, and that's okay. So we have charts in there, and so the kids, as we have their trials, they actually fill that in on the chart, and I have a big chart on the smart board that I'm filling in as we go as well. What I do with this then is, of course, we're using the measurement skills there. Then we go back in and we actually find the average of each group. And then that starts a conversation because some of the follow-up questions we have are, does the average represent the best, is that the best way to represent this data? And for groups that maybe had like one really far one and then one really short one, and so their average is kind of something puny in the middle, um, they're like, no, the average was the worst way to do this ever. We should have just done the winner by who went the farthest. And so um, we kind of have that conversation as well, which is something they don't always get to talk about math. And so it's good to have a way for them to talk about math skills and about that math, the data representing. And I offer all the data that we use, I offer to the teachers as well. Here, we've collected this real data if you'd like to use this in your classroom for something else. And then we graph the averages as well. And so we talk about parts of the graph and different things with that. We also have what I call STEM Wall of Fame. And so if you are the best, then I take your picture and I give you a little sticker that I ordered from Vistaprint that says STEM Wall of Fame. And I write on there, you know, Mint Mobiles, 69 inches. The boys on the left were the best for my fourth grade. Um, and the girls on the right were the best for my fifth grade. And as a matter of fact, they were the best I've had in five years. And so their average, that car, and you see their same supplies, but that car had an average of 69 inches. So that rolled way past the end of the tape measure. We had to use the yardstick too and figure out, and so that was huge. And I was very impressed with their skills. Of course, they're very impressed. And so 
not to comment on boys or girls, but <laughs> you know. So, just saying. <laughs> then it's always great when the top that I've had in five years is a group of all girls too. So, STEM is for everyone. But so, there's where I was. All right. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, question. Any restrictions on the cars? It's just whatever they build. No whatever size. they build, and it's it just has to be made only out of these supplies. And something just real quick, a management tip that I have. I see six classes a day, 50 minutes at a time. I don't have time to hand out materials constantly. So I spend time, or my student helpers spend time, making kits for me. I buy a lot of Ziploc bags, and I just recycle them over and over again because that's a fast way to hand out all the materials they need and I make sure everybody has the right stuff that way. Do you have another question? What do you do if they break the mint or? I replace it, but they can't eat it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, so you will replace it. They have to bring me the broken one and I'll, yeah. But the other stuff, and if they like, oh, we cut our straws and we didn't want to do that. Okay, bring me all the pieces of your straw and I will give you a new straw. And something that I do structure that, and I forgot to say that, I actually talk to them about wheels and axles, and like the mints are supposed to go on the straw, and when you do that, you want to make sure that you don't put the tape so close to the mint that it keeps the wheel from moving freely. And we talk a little bit about that kind of design aspect of it, but I don't want to tell them how to build it. I want them still to figure that out. And so, but I just give them some helpful tips. You know, I don't tell them how long or short to make it, but it has to have at least two axles and it has to have at least three wheels. But you can't eat the fourth wheel. So I make them bring it back to me. Yes. <laughs> Can I make a request as a science teacher? Please do. If you do this, have the kids measure in metrics? I do both. Here's the thing. The reason I do this specific activity in inches is because it sounds really big and they like that. But most of the stuff we do, sometimes we measure in metrics, sometimes we measure in that because they have to know both for the skills. And so we do measurement in both ways. We do length lab where they measure everything in centimeters. And we do other activities where they have to do everything in centimeters and meters. So I am covering both, but you're right. I, I do try to do where we get to use both types of measurement because in the classrooms, they're not measuring in inches or centimeters usually. They're not doing either. And so I try to expose them to as much as I can. So. All right. So Michelle's going to talk about 3D printing a little bit. And the reason I put this slide oh, uh, back. first, that's okay. Okay. Uh, was because that's kind of how I knew what was going on. She uh, sent me that picture and said, look at what one of our girls figured out how to do. So it. take it away. Yes, one of our girls. And actually, um, for science teachers, I discovered very quickly that all I had were imperial rulers. I didn't have any metric rulers in the library, and I had to rectify that because when you design for 3D printing, you design in metric. And so that is a great way for them to start seeing the conversion there. Mm -hmm. We started in my household getting used or learning about 3D printing because my husband's in the medical field and he wanted to create something which would make a ventilator work better. And so he designed it in a program called um, Tinker. Here you go. Tinker Cat. Tinker and um, when he sent it off to print it, it came back $30 later this big. And so he did it multiple times and $30 later, it kept coming back that big. And I was like, oh, we're going broke, can you find something else? And so he found Prototech, which is just down here on 10th Street across from Blue Garden. And it is a local maker space. They have open nights on every second Tuesday of the month. 
good, you can go in and see what they have. They, they have people who are happy to show you around and teach you how to use equipment. You can always join and you can use all of their equipment at any time. Um, but that is where we got the actual thing printed correctly and uh, gave it to the doctor for all the testing and blah, blah, blah. We were gifted a MakerBot clone from my father-in-law and um, we got ours from Monoprice, which is basically the same place that made, or my husband says it's the Chinese factory that makes the MakerBots, but they also sell their own for much cheaper. And if you are looking for a very inexpensive way, Monoprice do, does have those on sale frequently for $700 or so. So it's, it's a very inexpensive way. But what we learned with this is that they break a lot. I've been reading about about 3D printers and how they jam and they break. And so if you're not a tinkerer, you need to learn to become one because the, the cartridge comes apart frequently at our house and pieces get replaced. You spend a lot of money on replacement parts. So we decided for school we needed something a little bit more stable and steady. And we went with this Maker Tools Works, which is this one down here. That is a local company. They're down there at 3rd in Pennsylvania. The only problem with theirs is they sell it in kits, and so you spend all, you have to put it together. But we decided that it was actually worth our while because then when something broke, we put it together. We know how to fix it. And um, even last Monday, it wasn't working quite right. I just took it down, made an appointment, took it down to them. He put it on his bench, and he helped me solve the problem. So a lot of the problems with 3D printers that I've heard is that there's no support. This company gives us some support. I'm not endorsing any of those. I'm just saying that these are the ones that we've chosen and we've worked with. Um, so I had that class this summer. One of our girls had a broken flip-flop. She wasn't sure what she wanted to make. And she, I said, well, can you fix it with something? And so then they broke out. <laughs> Unfortunately, we had a yardstick that was metric. That was the only thing. So they were using a yardstick to measure the flip-flop. <laughs> Another one wanted to make a cover for her iTouch, and she wanted to download the cover from Thingiverse and just print it, but I told her the whole purpose of our class was not the printing. The printing was the happy result. The design was the point of it. And I promised her if she tried to make it, I would print her one over the summer, and she tried, and she failed. And we talked about why she failed, but she did get a cover in the end. Um, this is the one that had me very happy. <laughs> this little guy decided to build all the structures of the world. And so he decided he was going to build the Arc de Triomphe. And this is a rising sixth grader. He, um, we printed it and it didn't print off right. And he came back to me, this was in July. He came back to me the very first week of school and said, Mrs. Freeland, I know what we can do. How about we take the base off and we flip it over and we try it this way. And so he had spent a month thinking about how he could alter his design. That is STEM right there. That is problem solving. Um, I also have Tinker Play up here. This is an app. This is actually why we got our personal 3D printer. Um, my, my children put this app on, or we put this app on their tablets and you can design action figures with it. And so Grandpa said, I know, Grandpa said, my grandkids want to print off action figures, here you go. And that's how we got ours. But that is a very fun way to get kids 
looking and thinking 3D, and you don't actually have to show them or teach them anything. We just put the app on the tablet and handed it to them and said, here, see if you can use this. And then within two hours, they came back with really cool action figures that they wanted. And it gets them thinking in the 3D spatial. So when you start working with the Tinkercad, which is a free 3D design program, that's what we taught this summer. Um, when you start working with Tinkercad, then they have that idea of going behind and rotating because that was our biggest problem was the idea that you can rotate and look behind. And I added a video in here for Tinkercad. We can do real quick if you want. It's just a, a quick, a quick intro. Two minutes. Welcome to Tinkercad, a 3D design tool that runs in your browser. This tutorial video will teach you the basics of using Tinkercad. What makes Tinkercad unique is the focus on constant learning. You can create something from scratch, follow a quest that teaches you new skills, or find a thing someone else has designed that you want to study and perhaps modify. To start a new design, click the Design a New Thing button. This is the editor. The arrows on the left are part of the view controls. On the right, there are basic shapes you can use for your design. You can create things by dragging shapes to the work plane. To move the view to another angle, click the arrow buttons. You can also press and hold the right mouse button down while moving the mouse. Zoom the view by pressing the plus and minus buttons or by using the mouse scroll wheel. You can freely move shapes along the work plane. Use the top handle to change the height of the shape and use the corner handles to change its size along the work plane. Use the arrows to rotate the shape. Move the shape up and down by using the arrow handle on top of the shape. If you select several shapes, you can modify them simultaneously. Select multiple shapes with box select or by holding the shift key down and clicking on the shapes you want to select. If you press and hold the shift button while scaling, Tinkercad will resize the shape equally in all directions. Use copy and paste to duplicate shapes. You can use any shape to make holes. Just select the shape and press the hole button in the toolbar. It's a good idea to group related shapes together to make further editing easier. You can always ungroup shapes later. There it is. When you're done with designing, click Save and Close. After that, you can give a name to your new thing. Make sure that you give Your design is now ready to be 3D printed or shared with friends. Design a new thing of your own and have a great time learning at Tinkercad.com. Make sure that they do give them their new names because the names they give them on their from Tinkercad are very unusual and when the children try to go find their item later to work on it, they can't always find what they're looking for. Another problem that I encountered when doing this is that printing takes a long time. The Arc de Triomphe took six hours to print. So children need to, if you have them start with small flat items, then the printing process is much 
more quick and you can get it done in a class period. I had one little guy who designed every single Minecraft tool you could think of, which was his, his entry point, and that's great, but those printed off really quickly. Um, also, keep your mistakes. I have a whole bag of mistakes of things that we've tried that we failed at and show the children. And I tell them, Mr. Freeland, who knows so much about this, tried this and this is what happened. And I show them all the mistakes and, and the different air, ways we progress through it. It makes them feel better. But I also let them know that they're going to have to probably have at least 10 failures for everyone's success. That's what I, I consider a 3D design ratio that works, is 10 failures for one success. Luckily, our, our flip-flop clip worked actually after the first time. She came back and redesigned it a few different ways to make it better, but it still worked after the first time, so she got very lucky. Um, but I, I think my rules for printing is prepare to prepare to tinker with your printer, prepare for having a lot of failure, and your time constraints are your big three issues on there. The design process actually is so worth it, even if they never print a thing, having them design things is still beneficial. If you don't, if you can't afford a printer, I get it, those are expensive, but just using the Tinkercad to design. And you can go to ProTech and pay for the filament, so yes. they'll let you yes. print I mean, or maybe you have to join. Do you have to join to print with them, or? I don't think so. I think if you if you go and talk to them, they will let you print. There's probably an hourly fee. It's a by it's a by weight. It's by filament. It's, it's by, by how much weight. filament you use. So, so and and the thing is, is most of those things that are printed are printed with only like a ten percent infill, so they're very lightweight. And so you might pay, like the Arc de Triomphe would have, by if we pay for it by weight, would have cost us maybe a dollar and a half. Filament itself is very inexpensive. We buy a roll of it for $25 to $30, and it lasts for um, hundreds of prints, unless you're doing 100% infill on things, and that would be only things that need to hold a lot of weight. So if um, on the on the back, on the one with the, the printer, for example, my husband printed the uh, filament stance on the top of this. You got a laser. Oh, right, have a pointer? I think so. That thing? Oh, he printed these filament stands right here on the printer because they're a much better, they're a much better um, way of holding the filament than what this comes with. And um, they have to be very strong, so they had to be 100% in fill. So, and, and you also learn about different types of filament. Uh, Prototech really is a great place to go just to learn about printing. They also are open on the nights of H and H because they're down there by Blue Garden. Is that what it's called? Are you talking about the German place? No. Oh, the the uh, trailer, the, the food truck, food trucks. The food truck place. They're, yeah. they're across the street from the food truck place, so they're open on the nights of H and H. So you can always go in there and visit them also. Awesome. All right. That was great. Okay. We've got Something a... Something else to mention about the 3D printers. They have one set up in the exhibit hall. They're like, as you enter in, OEU has like yes. a little play table there. There's all kinds of different technology stuff. 
and they actually have a MakerBot that's been printing things yesterday and today, so you might check that out. And Canadian Valley, uh, Scott Charleston, Don Wilson are involved in that. They had a STEM camp this summer for kids. They're going to do some more STEM Institute things this summer. We're going to do another workshop for teachers probably in July uh, for STEM seeds. So we've got about 10 more minutes, and we've got a few more projects to talk awesome. about. Uh, so Hot Wheels. Okay, so Hot Wheels speedometry. Earlier in this it, this year, Hot Wheels was giving away class sets of track and cars. So you got all this amazing straight track and 40 Hot Wheels cars of different kinds and loop-de-loops. I got them thinking, well, I don't know what to do with that, but I'm pretty sure if it's free, I want that. And so I got, I ordered a set for myself and I ordered a set for our PE teacher, he hauled for me to use as well. So I pulled it out earlier because we were done with the mint race cars and we had kind of a day or two that we, some kids were ahead of the other ones. And so I let the kids, I gave them so much of it and I said, why don't you go build and explore and see what happens? So they gave us, with this, it actually has these little red clips so the kids can experiment with how high the starting ramp is for them to actually do the car. The first time we did it, I literally just said, go build and explore. And then I came around and asked them questions like, oh man, how high did you have to get it for it to go through both loops? Did you experiment with what that was? Which car went through the loops better? Why do you think that? And so some of them would say, oh, well, because this car is heavier or this car is shorter or something. So they were learning, and we talked a little bit about potential and kinetic energy, and we talked about some of the other things that could go with that. There's a lot of science and math you can pull out of this. If you go to the Hot Wheels speedometry website, as a matter of fact, they'll let you print out an 82-page document that has <laughs> basically two... Uh, units in it, so about six lessons for 82 pages. It has a bunch of skills lined up with it. It's awesome. I kind of looked through it and I was like, okay, we're going to use this as kind of a short activity. But it's still, it's so good, and I'm going to tell you Hot Wheels is going to have a boost in sales just from my class. And so I want to show you this video real quick. Um, this was just some of the kids and some of the things they built, and I went around and took a couple of short videos so you could see. It only went all the way through the loops when I wasn't recording it. And so we went ahead and I just showed you that anyway. And we used our dictionaries for more than just paper tables too. We used them for ramp builders to see how tall it would be on there. But that's something, I know not everyone can afford Hot Wheels, but if you could even get some donated, it's not something I always think about because I didn't play with Hot Wheels tracks and stuff a lot as a kid. But they loved it. The engagement level was high. I had my principal actually come down and have an informal evaluation that day. Even though we hadn't had, you know, it wasn't a formal lesson, still, when you look at student engagement and it's that high and they can talk to you about what they're doing and they, they know, even though we didn't have a formal lesson on it, what's going on, that's huge. So, awesome. Minecraft. How many of you have, know somebody playing Minecraft? You know a child into Minecraft. Okay. How many have purchased Minecraft EDU, the education version? So my recommendation is, number one, the, the level of engagement. This is a virtual world. One way to think about Minecraft is you have unlimited Lego bricks and you can build together. And 
the level of engagement and even being enthralled just totally into it that Minecraft has, I mean, it's kind of scary. I mean, that's why some parents are like, my kids are on Minecraft all the time. We can't get them off Minecraft. And even when we've presented this at school and said, hey, we're going to give kids chances to, to do Minecraft, the questions are, as other parents have asked, what are you doing? Are there monsters? Are the kids attacking each other? I mean, what is what is this? So Minecraft EDU gives us as teachers superpowers, all right? It lets us turn off play, player versus player, PvP. It lets us turn off TNT or dynamite so kids don't blow up each other's things. It lets us, you know, if, if we want to be flying around or teleporting or freezing kids or freezing everybody, I, you know, you can have kids obviously create things in Minecraft. That's yesterday, by the way, uh, one of our uh, STEM kids for the first time going through the tutorial world. Of our 16 kids in the club, only two had played on a PC before. Others had mainly played on a tablet, on an Android or an iPad. So we're probably doing a three-lesson cycle. Yesterday was the orientation. Second day next week is going to be crafting tools and how we do that with a crafting table and just starting with a house. And then we'll have a challenge. It'll probably be a perimeter and area challenge. Um, so um, link to this. You can, you can get to this. I made a reference sheet. You can get all this online, but I found it handy to have a, a double-sided page in the computer lab so the kids could see how to make a sword, how to make a stick, how to make you know uh, a torch. When you play on an Xbox or a console, all the recipes are right there at your fingertips. You don't have to know the recipe, but when you're on a PC, they're not. So a crafting table is where you take things that you've collected, like wood or like stone or, or like um, charcoal, and you put them together to make something else. So one of the projects last year was, I called it the Treehouse Challenge. And so students in two days, and this is after we've introduced Minecraft, they've gotten oriented to how they move around, and then they've learned how to, how to make tools. With their partner, they have to build the coolest roof treehouse they can that has ladders, windows, doors, and torches. They had to have at least one square room that had an area of 25, and they needed a fenced corral that had a perimeter of 24. Now, fourth and fifth graders typically have some struggles with perimeter and area. So this is one area, one place where, hey, we're touching the curriculum. Yes, we're talking about perimeter area. And guess what? Sometimes even when kids built, we were still calculating it differently or, or just you know, not being clear about not multiplying and adding sides. Uh, with this unit, we actually, I had the students use explain everything on our iPads. They took screenshots and then they worked the problem and they explained and, and showed the perimeter of their corral and the area of their um, room that they did. Most fun project we did all year. This was the culminating project of the year. We called it the Redstone Engineering Challenge. Redstone is the wiring in Minecraft. I did not know much about this. My son, who's now a senior in high school, and my daughter, youngest daughter, who is a sixth grader, you know, taught me a lot. This is what we came up with. With their group, they had to make iron doors that opened with pressure plates, automatic lights that came on with a switch or a button or a pressure plate, a dispenser that either sent out eggs, snowballs, or arrows, a shower that worked when they flipped a switch, a refrigerator that dispensed some kind of a fruit or vegetable, a doorbell that worked, and then sliding glass doors or a jeb door, and there was a tutorial. So here's a quick video of one of my fifth grade uh, groups and what they came up with. This is a minute and a half. Okay, so this is a tour of our house. First, we build our jib door with personal touch. The door lights up. So when you come in, you have your fridge here, which has a random chance of either giving you carrots or melons. And then 
you have your shower here, which added in, like, when you walk in, there's no balls and eggs. And when you take a shower, it say it's nighttime, when you turn it on, it, like, there's, like, lights. And I couldn't figure out how to get buttons on the ceiling, so you'll have to flick it a couple of times before it turns off, but that's our house. And actually, right now, can you show me the redstone to your shower? Oh, yeah, I just got to get up there. Oh, is there, is there redstone or was it just. Uh, there was redstone. What I did is you saw the redstone lamps I placed down here, and then right below this block is where I have the lever, which when it activates, it will activate this piece of redstone. So that way you can get the lights. And yeah, it activates down. the lights and shower at the same nice. time. Okay, all right, we'll go with this. So fun. So that was just shot with the iPhone pointed at the at the computer, um, having them talk. And we had several students do that. And of course, what's great is being able to share those things and, and being able to share students, dem you know, demonstrating what they've built and created is awesome. I think we're going to go about five minutes over. We're going to answer a question. Amy's going to talk about CSI. It's our last thing. How much is Minecraft? When you buy it educationally, it's about half the price. It's almost 20 bucks when you buy an individual license. When you license it from them, depends on how many seats, but it was about, you know, 10 or $12 a license. I think I spent $400 on, at, at Independence on, uh, 29 seats. Did you spend about that much or 300? I got it last year, 30 licenses and a server, and it was like $370. I have the website pulled up. It's, uh, $18 each, if you get more than 25 it's 14 and then the uh, uh, server is 41 Yeah. Yep. So, all right, CSI. Okay, I'll talk fast. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we don't want to discount this, though. Part of the thing um, that when I started becoming a STEM teacher, I wanted to do stuff I was interested in. Crime scene investigation and the whole idea just fascinates me. I love it. And there are ways to bring that to a level where fourth and fifth grade kids can actually understand that. There's a book called One Hour Mysteries, and it actually gives you a crime scenario. It gives you um, suspects that interview the suspects. It gives you different parts of the evidence. And I break that down into where I give the kids just a little bit of information at a time and make them eliminate suspects one at a time based on what evidence they have found so far. Um, they like that. And it's, it's not... It's not as much hands-on as then when we do actually the CSI labs. Um, I set up different lab stations and I explained to the kids if we're going to be able to solve a crime, then we're going to have to learn how to process evidence in the lab. And so they actually get to make their own fingerprints, which is always a huge thing. They uh, rub pencil on paper, we put their finger in the lead and then put a piece of tape over that. When you pull that tape off, it's got their lovely fingerprint and so then we put that on the actual sheet. And then um, handwriting analysis, they look at different types of handwriting and see how they can match that up with the suspect. Textile identification. The coolest part of that is just they get to use a microscope. They don't get to use microscopes anymore. Nobody has microscopes. So they actually get to look at different types of fabrics in the microscope. Liquid chromatography, which is where you can tell different types of ink. And then dental impressions, which they totally gross out that they have to put their bite down on a foam plate. And so and then I have them match up other people's dental impressions that we have had to see if they can see how that would actually work. 
So there's a couple of pictures of my kids, you know, doing this. Of course, I have it in their recording sheets, in their notebooks. Um, of course, the dental impressions. She's not gagging. Thank you. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, they love being able to look at their fingerprints then, and then they classify them based on what type they are, like a plain whirl or a tinted arch and different things. So they learn new vocabulary with that. And then, of course, we have the uh, textile identification where they're looking at different types of material. If you've never looked at nylon under a microscope, it's super cool because it looks like little springs, as you might imagine the way that it functions. Um, but that is part of what uh, we work on there. I also like to do... A full-scale investigation, which is a ton of work, I'll just tell you it is. There are things that you can do that are already pre-made, but I've done things that apply to our school, like one year I did the cases of missing iPads, and so I had these suspects from our school, they all submitted fingerprints to me so I could use them for the kids. I had fingerprints at the scene, I staged the crime scene, I interviewed, I had kids go and interview all the suspects in the school, so the kids would rotate through stations where they use the iPad, to watch all the suspect interviews. Then we had handwriting, where they had the handwriting analysis with that. They also had to match up the ink pen that was used at the scene. So I'm trying to work on making another one of those. That took so much work, I've used it for two, three years. <laughs> and so, um, but that's something, the engagement level, of course, is really high because they feel like they're actually being a real investigator, getting to find out and trying to understand that information. So there's that. Awesome. All right. So last, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, just a couple more slides. Um, Joy Hoffmeister mentioned this morning, it is Connected Educator Month nationwide, okay? And you can go to the hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy's in the back with her hands up in the hall. C, uh, CEM15. But the K-12 online conference I've been involved with now for 10 years, completely free, online. And the pre-conference keynote is Monday. Um, it's Don Wetrick, who's, a, who's written a book on Genius Hour, who's amazing. There are 40 presentations published by some of the most amazing teachers, entirely free, no vendors. Uh, I love this, and that's why I've, I've been a, a part of it uh, for 10 years. So that starts next week on Monday. Ed Camp is going to be coming back to Oklahoma City to Southeast High School. I just heard yesterday from, from Adam, the first Saturday in March. Um, and we'll have registration coming up for that just in the next week or so. Ed Camp OKC. And finally, STEM Seeds. This is the website that Amy and I set up. We have about 10 archived Google Hangouts. So we only had 45 minutes today or maybe 50 minutes. But um, we've gotten online uh, with some amazing educators, and for an hour, they've talked about lesson ideas, and it's a hangout on air. It's, it's ah, sorry, archived on YouTube. So you can go to our website and view those videos, share those with other people, and we will be sharing via Twitter uh, as well as other kinds of social media about our camp. We're going to do a camp in July. Um, it's going to probably be three days for teachers. It, we don't know yet how it's going to involve students. It will at least involve students coming to help teach and show and, you know, be involved. So, presentations available online. Thank you all so much for your attention, and we look forward to learning about what the things you'll be doing with these STEM ideas in the weeks to come.